This entire season of Retronauts is fully funded by listeners like you thanks to Patreon. If you'd like to find out how you can help and get episodes a week in advance, head on over to patreon.com slash retronauts. Thanks and enjoy the show. This week on Retronauts, we unveil the true Zelda timeline. Everybody, this is Bob Mackey for a brand new episode of Retronauts, and today's topic is a, the Legend of Zelda: A Link to the Past. I keep mixing up those prepositions, or sorry, articles. I know my I know my English terms, everyone. So before I make any more mistakes, let's find out who is here. Who's across from me, right there? It's a me, Jeremy. Wrong series, Jeremy. Oh, <laughs> what does okay, Link say? Well, sorry, hood, hide, hood. That's right. <laughs> Who can forget those iconic Link uh, catchphrases? <laughs> so good. man, the, the timeline is just not going crazy over here. Uh, and who else do we have right there? Uh, down with Zelda from the very start. I got the smart, the hard to play the parts. Did the down, Brelston. Well, someone's been doing their homework. <laughs> oh, my God. But who are you in non-rap uh, lingo? Uh, Brett Elston. That's right. And uh, who else is here today? Uh, I could eat a whole octorot. Uh, I'm, I'm Henry Gilbert. Hi. We're referencing every game but the one we're talking about, but that's fine. Uh, that's, well, that's what cool. should we say from that? Like, here's the spinning attack we our family learned. Uh, maybe. But, uh, what, what are Link to the Past quotes? Well, we'll figure that out later. Uh, so today's episode. Uh, Galaxy's a piece. Uh, <laughs> Zelda is your dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah. 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 I just played deep. through the first hour last night, so. Cool. It's in my head. Oh, so we are doing an entire episode about uh, Link to the Past, and you might be asking why. Well, we did an episode just about Super Mario World. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to fill the time, but it ended up being one of our more popular episodes, and mm-hmm. we did a pretty good job at it. So um, I consider this to be up there with uh, Mario World as one of the best games ever, one of the best 16-bit games ever for sure, and it's very important in terms of the future of Zelda. Mm-hmm. So any any just the initial thoughts on A Link to the Past before we just dive into it? I'm just curious as to how everyone feels about it uh, at, the, at the start of this. Because if you don't think it's the best Zelda ever, I want I want to convince you by the mm-hmm. end. I I personally think it's the best 2D Zelda. I think I, I replayed Wind Waker recently. I think I might prefer that more personally. Or um, Link Between Worlds. I really – this is getting ahead of ourselves. Uh-huh. Right time, oh, but we'll I really talk about did, that for sure. I really mm-hmm. did enjoy Link Between Worlds a whole lot. Yeah, great game. It's definitely my favorite. But I know it is better than Minish Cap, but Minish Cap Cap holds a special place in my heart. It's okay. Um, But yeah, this was a a magical game at the perfect time, uh, not just in console cycle and lifetime, but also like my personal age and where I was at the time. It was like couldn't have been better timed. Yeah, and that's when it hit me too. How about you, Jeremy? I don't. I don't know. Uh, No, I'm not. I'm not disparaging the game. (laughs) It's just one of those situations where it occupies such a huge and monolithic place mm. in in my mind that I can't really tell if I love it or mm. 
if it's really amazing because it's like you know it's like the Beatles like they're <laughs> ju- they're just there and everything kind of revolves around that mm. thing right. that entity that creation. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that was my initial thought about Mario World. Like it is such a ubiquitous. Like of course it's great. Of course people like it, mm. but you don't really tr- stop to think about why too often. And I want to kind of explore that. Like what what is it about this game that we just take it for granted that it is awesome? I, I kind of want to just go into it like point by point, detail by detail, and figure out, like, why why this game is so important and why it is, like, the foundation of, like, every Zelda since then. Mm-hmm. And you, you can argue against that, but I, I really feel like that is the case. Well, I think the, tr- uh, like, there's the trio of, of um, sequels on the Super NES, Super Mario World, Super Metroid, and Link to the Past, which are... The evolution of the 8-bit game, like it's more and Earthbound, of the, come on. Man. Oh, okay, yeah. Sorry, and that Earthbound, too, that's true. I, uh, I almost forgot that. Well, and, and Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and all that. But but uh, I think of those three as like, quote, unquote, perfect games, blah, blah, whatever. But that they, they took everything that was great about the NES thing and then built it up and expanded and made it more colorful, gave you more options. Just did more shit with it that you couldn't do before, like that, and that's that's how I feel with Link to the Past. And I I actually had a conversation uh, at the place I used to work at. We we re ranked the 100 again, and we were saying, you know, it's got to be it's got to be Link to the Past. It should be this high up. And British people were like, Are you sure you don't have just you know? Um, you're being too nostalgic for. I was like, "F you!" Like, no, <laughs> I could say that about Sonic Two, but not this game. I, I disagree. What is it with British people and their hatred of Mar of Nintendo games? They just they didn't grow up with it. They weren't yeah. brainwashed at a young age, like like people like me. It's not isometric, so therefore it's unplayable. I'm I kid you. There's no, no phone people. number to call at the bottom of the screen. <laughs> I'm always trying to tell our our boss based in the UK that. Our readers really like Nintendo, and we should cover Nintendo games. He's like, oh, is Nintendo a thing? There still, we're really throwing British people under the bus. No, I'm still I'm mad just about the, it's a uh, cultural difference. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Great I, monarchy, I, but and case, also their buses are like two stories high, so it's really scary. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be drive on the wrong side of the street. It's a real National Lampoon's European vacation style setup in here. Uh, so let me go into some background information about A Link to the Past. So uh, just the key people behind this game, we have it's directed by Takashi Tezuka. Mm-hmm. And I said in the Mario World episode, I'm beginning to realize how important he is. Uh, just oh, like, yeah. I mean, I, like I would put him on the same ranks as Miyamoto, and it's not clear like like how different they are in terms of talent. I'm, I assume like Tezuka is the guy who gets things done in the mechanical think, sense. Yeah, I think Shigeru Miyamoto comes up, he's like the the, the thinker, and Tezuka's the doer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's it. Well, I've gotten to interview Tezuka like twice, and it's great, but but he's, I think he also is a guy who like doesn't like the spotlight and has been like dragged into the spotlight at E3. They're like, here, you should do an interview. He's like, Oh, okay. And he's just, like, very, like, modest. And uh, and I asked him about, like, what's his working relationship with, with Miyamoto. And we were talking about knowing Japanese before this. And I heard him say senpai. And I was like, oh, I got, like, and the translator was like, yeah, yeah, you heard him say senpai. <laughs> yes, that's kind of their relationship. Don't write that but, down. But that was <laughs> also when I interviewed him and doing pre-research for it. Like, that's when I found out he... I thought of him as just, oh, he's the Mario guy because that's how Nintendo presents him a lot of the time. And then I saw all the Zelda work he'd done. Like, it was it was mind-blowing to me that he had been that involved in the other huge Nintendo's second biggest series. I think if, if anyone could ha- possibly have, like, uh, a uh, 
like David Jaffe or David Cage size ego. Anyone who deserves it, it's him. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at what he did in the 90s, and I said this in the Mario World episode, he did Mario World, duh. He did Yoshi's Island. He did Link's Awakening. He did uh, Link to the Past. Um, and then he worked with Miyamoto on like the fundamental building blocks of like genres like Super Mario Brothers, Legend of Zelda 1, like things like that. Like he is way important. And I really hope we get some great interviews with him before he retires or passes away. I mean, he's only in his 50s, okay? I'm not saying it's going to happen soon, but these people, you never know what's going to happen. And I'm sure we lost a lot. I mean, we did lose a lot with Gunpei Yokoi, uh, him passing away in that Mm -hmm. freak accident that he did pass away in. So, yeah. And uh, who else do we have? I feel like like it would would take something away from these games if Tezuka did have... A monumental ego. The fact that the man behind oh, I'm these, glad he doesn't, you know. Yeah, yeah. The the fact that the man who has who's made all these fantastic, universally lovable games that anyone can play and anyone can enjoy and that are so foundational, the fact that he's actually just this really quiet, good natured man, like he's really friendly, really, really just kind of easygoing. Like, that makes it so much better. Whenever mm-hmm. I see a picture of him, there's like this childlike sense of wonder on his face. I'm not trying to be patronizing, but you can tell like these – he made these games. I don't know. There's just something about the way he carries himself, the way he looks mm-hmm. in pictures. I don't know. I could be reading too much into it. But. Yeah, he, well, he's super he, – he was really modest. I, I totally geeked out the first time I interviewed him and told him like, oh, you directed Yoshi's Island and that's my like favorite game ever. Like thank you so much. And and what was it like developing? And he's like, oh, thank you, thank you. I just remember it as a as a hard time to develop, but uh, that, hey, everybody who used to work on it with me got went to such great heights like Eguchi-san and all these other people. And he's just like totally deferring, mm. uh, you know, kudos to the other people. That's me. That's paraphrasing, guys. That's not, but he's an awesome quote guy. Quote me on a wiki page. End quote. <laughs> end quote. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. But who else worked on this game? Well, we have Koji Kondo, of course, doing the soundtrack. Uh he did the Mario World soundtrack, but I feel like this is the first, like, real 16-bit soundtrack that mm-hmm. he did. Because, it, I mean, Mario World felt like it still had, like, the very basic assortment of, like, 8-bit songs in it. You have your uh, you have your Overworld song, your uh, Underworld yeah. song, and your, like, athletic theme or whatever. Yeah. It's also hard to get a, a, a sense of, like, what can the system do when the game, when Mario World is packing and then... It's more circus music. Like I'm not yeah. not to not to belittle it, but it is like this is this is this is. <laughs> I think of it more. Great soundtrack. I'm I not, think of it more as ragtime. It's like ragtime. Well, you know what I mean. I, yeah. I, yeah, I don't mean like as a genre. It is more close to circus <laughs> music. I just mean like it is it is fun and bouncy and and it is perfect for this game. But then something like Link to the Past is like, well, now we're gonna actually make like a soundtrack. Yeah, like like we drama. Need, yeah, yeah, we need like this is where we'll flex the muscle of this of, of what the system can do. Not to get too far into the weeds, but I think the the soundtrack for Mario World is kind of an example of Nintendo's iterative design. I mean, we we were talking about how Super Metroid and Super Mario World and Legend of Zelda Link to the Past were basically like the foundations and when they went into 3D, those series used those games as their foundation. Well, I, I feel like, you know, the, the work they did in Mario World was kind of iterating on what they had done in Super Mario 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, there were these kind of simple themes, but they were using that to sort of experiment to see what the system could mm. do. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't mean to Oh, disparage. we can put these echo effects on it. Oh, sure. we can use, like, variable sound, and we can add, you know, syncopation when you're writing Yoshi mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, I do like you know, that, how, that's, yeah. it's a different kind of approach to advancement and evolution than I think a lot of studios would use, but it, it, it does feel very organic and, and natural. So... 
I, I, I'm not, you know, no, I get, feel like get uh, distracted, but you know, I, I think, you know, Zelda was just the next step in mm-hmm. that process. I feel Zelda has like a more cinematic soundtrack. I don't know. Yeah. Like Mario World feels like it's it's kind of engineered towards the play you're doing, but in Zelda, it's more about building an atmosphere and the play is secondary to what is it being added to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, figure that out. I don't know. I'm not even sure what I meant by that, but <laughs> I thought I did. So who else do we have here? We have uh, some newcomers to the Zelda series. We have uh, Kensuke Tanabe, which we talk about him every now and then. Uh, he was the director of Doki Doki Panic, which mm. became Mario 2. Um, what did he do in Zelda? He wrote the scenario, uh, mm-hmm. and he wrote the scenario for Link's Awakening and Ocarina of Time. Man. Yeah, I remembered him as the Awakening guy, but I forgot. So he's like... responsible for the split timeline. Yeah. That also, jerk. He was not alone, though. Yoshiaki Koizumi was the co-writer. Whoa, no on, kidding. Yes. Wow. Like, I didn't realize he'd been around that long. These guys are all, like, mega huge at Nintendo now. They're yeah. all still there. They're all, like, in charge of departments now, and they've all, like... Like uh, Koizumi did Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy. Now, now yeah, he's, like, he's like the boss of EAD Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they they earn their their ranks. Mm-hmm. I mean, based on their work here. <laughs> I interviewed him and he blinked a lot. That's why. I, that's why. Yeah. Make too much staring. His me is like has these like big crazy eyes, <laughs> and he has very bushy eyebrows. But also, any he's other very problems nice. with this man? No, he was great. <laughs> well, here's a quick thing he said to me that he liked that he he remember when I asked him what do you think it's like. Working with such a huge team on Super Mario 3D World, he said, "Yeah, I missed I missed the days when I built Yoshi myself out of mm. like eight polygons and just mm. put them on a roof. Like, <laughs> <laughs> build your own Yoshi. Try it at home." So this was an eight megabit cart. That's one megabyte, which is probably smaller than the PDF file I'm looking at right now. <laughs> was that but, as big um, as Strider was? On Strider the... was a one megabyte or one eight megabit. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yes, it's the same size. Damn it. <laughs> this was the biggest cart they used up to this point, and I, I originally I think it was designed to be a four megabit game, but I thought it was I thought it was sixteen because it's eight. Super Metroid was twenty four, wasn't it? Sixteen, I think. Street Fighter Two was the first. Yeah. Yeah. This is an eight. This is an eight megabit game. Um, but it's huge in comparison to what Nintendo was working with before. Like literally double the size, and even then they had to use a lot of compression. Like I was reading that. Um, the overworld is like a really easy hack. I'm sorry, uh, between the light and the dark parts of it. It's just like there's like this weird overlay where they use all the same information. They just change like color Palettes. tiles and stuff yeah. like that. It's crazy like what they <laughs> did here because I was reading that uh, Koji Kondo finished the soundtrack and it was one one whole megabit, which is a lot for yeah. the eight you're wow. working with. So they had to figure out a way to cram all this in. I assume that was because yeah. of samples. Uh, it could have been, yeah. I mean, or maybe they just... There's a lot weren't. of strings and stuff in that that yeah. weren't, probably weren't built into the Super NES chip. And lots of sound effects. I'm sure Koji Kondo worked on sound effects, too, for it. Um, yeah, the the sound effects in that, in, in Zelda and uh, Super Mario World, both have this kind of, like, really unique, almost, like, elastic quality. It's like... Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking of the bosses <laughs> when you hit them, they go... Yeah. yeah, everything... I mean, the the whole... The Super NES sound chip just made everything sound kind of muted, probably because it was sampling at a low rate. Yeah. But it's unique and distinct. And yeah, like, I can just hear... That game, like everything from the strings to the yeah, I made the a boss point. sound effects and the bombing noises. I made a point to point out, like I love the sound the hammer makes when you hit those little moles, oh, like the yeah. whack it makes. It's so like the, the sound design in this game is great. And I that's love all Koji the Kondo. tapping the sword with, against a wall that's, oh, yeah. that that can't be broke. Just that that's such a again one of those tiny details that as a kid or a teen you're just like. Yeah, like oh, it feels that much more real that because like I probably would do that if I had a sword. I'd be Clanging it, I, I bring, bring it on sword. everything, and yeah, yeah, it was a great touch. And um, like it's so hard to find 
interviews about these old games. And like we were talking about before, like people that are working at Nintendo, they don't want to talk about Link to the Past. Maybe they right. do, but they're not supposed to. Or maybe <laughs> they are encouraged to talk about their new products. Yeah, they're like, why would you want to dwell on the past? Let's just play some new stuff. <laughs> I, I've had that happen to me in yeah, Nintendo me interviews. Too. Or sometimes it's the PR person saying, this is about new Luigi U. We're not talking about Mario 2. Uh, like, I'm going to slowly scoot away one. from the mic. Brett, <laughs> <laughs> right, you're part of the problem. That's okay. Uh, it's okay. So I've discovered in recent times that um, people are translating liner notes to soundtracks in J- from Japan, these old soundtracks, and they have a wealth of information back when I think mm. there was not as much silence about development, I think. So I, I found this site. It's called uh, Glitterberry, mm. and I'll put a link to that in the US Gamer blog post. Um, but there are three Link to the Past interviews here. And they are all, like, really informative and all giving, like, really great information. So I learned from this that this game had a three-year development cycle, which is wow. crazy. One year was planning. One year was uh, experimenting, as they said. And one year was actual production. And it started development when Mario World started development. And uh, they wanted to release it in March of 91, but it ended up being released in November. So this game was super delayed, like every Zelda game. Yeah. I think that's just, like, a Zelda tradition <laughs> is being delayed. So Biting yeah. off more than you can chew or... Or underestimating time, I guess. Yeah. And I was also reading that, like, you just get a great window into game development back then. And I read, I read a Mega Man X interview that was like this, too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. what, what a planner is. Like, what a director does. Like, these are the interviews where you learn this stuff. And they're like, in the past, we would have a few people come up with a concept. And then towards the end, we'd have more people come on to, like, refine it. It's like, we couldn't do that here. There was too much, too many ideas. There was originally going to be three worlds instead of two. So think about how. Wow. But they're well, like. It's kind of like the Oracles games. Yeah. 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 And, it, like, how Majora's Mask is going to have seven days instead of three. So, like, they're immediately thinking a little too, like, high concept. But even they realize, like, that that's too much information. That's too much for players to keep track of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. And some other things, like the spin attack was put in because the diagonal attack they wanted to use was too awkward. So that was a way to get the character mm-hmm. to attack diagonally is that spin attack. And Brett brought up the cracks in the walls. Well, mm-hmm. um, there were not going to be cracks originally. It was just going to be, like, the sound cue. But then Miyamoto was like, <laughs> people are going to waste their time doing this to every wall, yeah. which kind of goes against Legend of Zelda 1, burn every bush, bomb yeah, every but crack. Zelda 1, you, once you figured out that there was only one entrance per screen, yeah. it became That's a lot true. less time-consuming. Was that something the game informed you of, or is that just something you no, pick it's just, up on? No, it's something that eventually you realize, oh, there's always one entrance at the most. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, there, I, can't, I can't think of any any screens that had multiple entrances unless they went to the same place, like where you could move a statue and it would create a staircase, but the staircase would take you to the same place as the cave entrance okay, in yeah. that screen. Um, but th- yeah, you can't do that in Zelda th- in uh, Link to the Past because you don't have that discrete boundary for yeah. each area. Like yeah, the, 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 some sizes the are like screens. arbitrary. Like some are be- some will have scrolling, some won't. It's just like very like I don't know what the yeah. I mean, well, th- yeah, you you have scrolling areas. You have large spaces, 
And you can't say like, you know, there's going to be a single entrance in this discrete area. It just, it's not possible. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad they made that change. I'm not surprised they did because it is like tapping walls to find secrets (laughs) would be some serious BS. Yeah, that feels like a little too, 91 was a little too late for that. So other things like... Yeah, that's some Tower of Duraga crap. (laughs) Like, something else that happened that I found interesting was they wanted fire to spread. Like, you light grass on fire, the fire spreads. They said they could have done it, but they didn't have time to implement it, so that ended up being in Four Swords Adventures. So... That's something else. I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna stop rattling off trivia very soon. No, no, I, I love just, I love how no idea goes to waste. Yeah, yeah. it's it's great. Like they save everything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I I think I just saw that with Splatoon where somebody pulled up this like twenty uh, this early two thousands interview with Miyamoto just saying like I'm interested in first person shooters but not in the killing each other thing but exploring. He's like describing all these things that like it's the germ. It feels like the germ of the idea that would grow into Splatoon a decade later. Yeah. Is he the one that? Well, I mean, it's an EAD game. Like it's his team. Right. I wonder, but is he? Was Miyamoto the one who led Pro- Metroid Prime down that path, or was it all retro? Mm. Or, no. I wonder if that uh, Tanabe, Tanabe was the dude at retro. Talking. They okay. sent to Texas, I guess, to yeah. oversee that. And um, yeah. Well, Tanabe is like an uh, Tanabe is like an officer of Miyamoto. Yeah, my, that's true. My, I, I yeah. He could have been laying down the law. I he, guess. He's like he's like Miyamoto's American liaison. He he developed <laughs> the Mario game that would become yeah. Super Mario USA. Uh, he's worked on a few other things and there's oh actually I'm getting him mixed up with Genya Takeda who did like Star Tropics and Punch mm-hmm. Out which are like super American games but mm-hmm. Tanabe also does a lot of the the sort of western liaison stuff the the list of trivia is reminding me just like all these no ideas go to waste things of like it was originally going to be three worlds and it was going to be seven days in, in Majora's Mask like it's another thing where uh I really wish it was easier for companies to share, like, the original design docs. Oh, God, yeah. Because, like, being able to see some of the stuff where I am now, it's – it's. I mean, it's going to be for recent stuff, so it's not going to be this juicy, like, back in 92, man. <laughs> like, there's not, I haven't seen anything like that, but to see how games start on this scope where you're shooting for the moon and then eventually they all just like, well, instead of this, we'll have one Lower of those. Yeah, or Earth Orbit, and then next door, and then like, well, it turns out like, let's just keep it in this room if we can. Yeah, and you can you can just watch you can watch these games go from these grand. You're like, oh, that'd be so amazing, and then the game that comes out the other end, you don't even know all the stuff that's not there. So when you talk to creators, it's like in a sense they're seeing a big compromised thing instead of their original vision. Right, right. right. But at, at the same time, yeah. you can, just what we were talking about, you understand why they don't give that information out because yeah, they use it. those old design docs are full of nuggets for future games. Right, right. I bet that's why in interviews, like, developers probably hate, like, what's your dream game? What you make? And, like, yeah. like <laughs> well, I don't want to tell you because I could sell that something. Yeah, yeah. 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 On that note, Brett, like I feel like we kind of scoff at concept art. Like you unlocked a concept art thing, and it's just like, okay, whatever. I'll, I might look at that, but with these games, like I would kill to see like the original drawings for the enemies and like sure. the sketches for like bosses and stuff because it all it all had to exist like in a two D form first. Yeah, which and, part of Aghanim is really his face? <laughs> yeah. that, well, I mean, I think Henry's manga will tell you that. <laughs> nah, he's never unmasked. Well, you do uh, see a skull at a certain point. We'll get into the manga later, yeah. but I do want to say the um, uh, dark. I love the I um, Nintendo. I think is more sharing of concept art the most. Like they have a ton of. I would use them all the time in art for for stories and stuff. Just like oh, I need a good Mario picture. I'll just go to Mario Wiki because they have the best versions of every piece of concept art ever. Like mm. eight different poses for Raccoon Mario. There was that picture recently that was like Miyamoto's sketches of was it Donkey Kong or 
or Super Mario Brothers or I saw I there think, was like a recent remember, museum showing of like maybe that's what yeah it was. and he had I like remember a that in the twenty fifth anniversary of Mario was when they had a Super Mario Brothers mm-hmm. they they shared some sketches and mm. stuff like that uh, though I also remember so this is a sticking sticking mm. point for me in Link to the Past in the concept art he has either light brown or blonde hair. But in the game, he has pink hair. Like, oh. that's right. Isn't that pink or We'll get into purple? that. It's pink, yeah. All right. Yeah, like lavender, okay. maybe, if you want to. But it's like it's like blazing hot pink, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as yeah. far as in the concept pink art, link. like, it's it's blonde hair. I'm just saying it's an inconsistency. Well. It's one of those interesting, like, the sprite artists had different ideas. Or maybe, like, mm-hmm. this would work better. It'd be more of a contrast with the back. With they were trying to make it more like Final Fantasy. Where the concept <laughs> art, everyone was blonde. And every character sprite had, like, everyone crazy colored hair. Blonde and androgynous. <laughs> I, I, I always wondered if it was just like, well, the, the Super NES can share so many colors, but I wondered if it was like a color thing. They just like brown hair wouldn't look good in these backgrounds. They, yeah. didn't, they didn't do it for a character that would have brown hair. That's what it seemed like to me. Like, this looks more interesting, so let's go for it. And um, I, I'm okay with it. But just a few more things, because I'm almost out of trivia. Actually, there's a ton more trivia in these interviews. Please read them. I like, this is also fascinating to me, because I had never seen these interviews before, and they might have been up for a while, but I'll link you to that in the US Gamer Post. But, um, one thing, one quote I pulled from Miyamoto, and I think it really just explains this game. He says, the main theme of the game is for the player to be able to feel as though they're doing everything themselves. And I feel like that mm. is very true of this. Like, I don't know if the guidance is that explicit in this game. It's not quite as, like, leave you in the dark as Legend of Zelda. It's, like, guidance through design, I guess. I mean, they put an X on your map often. That's true. Like, here's... Go here, guys. Like, man, that map. What a great yeah, map. a guy will tell uh, you. They like, do show the, you yeah. the wise man, Sarasa, Rasa, la, 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 la. That's gorilla. We'll tell you, um, you know, you need to do this or do that. But how you get there and and the means by which you complete your tasks. Mm-hmm. I think that is, like, very much up to you. The 8 and 16-bit difference. Like, the map will show you the location of the 8 pendants, but not, like, how you get there and, like, mm-hmm. how you unlock the dungeon and all that stuff. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this in the Metroid episode about how Zero Mission kind of hit that sweet spot where it gave you a pointer on where to go, but then, you know, the the, the route you needed to complete mm-hmm. was complicated and convoluted and full of puzzles, and you needed to figure that out. Mm-hmm. That To me, that's a sweet spot of design. Like, don't leave someone just running around in the dark wondering what the hell am I doing, but instead, like, nudge them in the right direction and then let them figure out the rest themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I that's That's design that I like. Yeah. And uh, one more thing that's kind of strange to me. Miyamoto is proudest of the bottle system in this game. Um, (laughs) He says that it allows players to, like, set their own limitations. So it's like if you want to get all the bottles, if you want to get – Fill them all with fairies, go for it. But then maybe next time you play, get one bottle and see if you can play the game that way. So he was really proud of that as, like, a dynamic, like, self-imposed difficulty Well, it's it's also kind of a complex mechanism for a game of that vintage to have – an item that you put other items inside of. Like, adventure games did that, mm. you know, Zork with the bag and all that. Yeah. But, but you really didn't see that very much in in action-type games mm. where there was this sort of interaction between elements and the bottle could be filled with a lot of different things, anything from a potion to a bee. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, – that's, that's – you know, that's pretty complicated. And bottles have been in every Zelda game since. And um, I think Majora's Mask is like six bottles. <laughs> like, they have a lot of bottles in the game. I mean, game. this game introduced a lot of things that would be in. I mean, the Master Sword, this was the first oh, yeah. time that ever came into it. And the implication, like, bigger storytelling or the, like, I don't know, like Zelda talks. You get to meet Zelda herself, but 
Uh, I think the Master Sword is the biggest. Well, the, the Master the... Sword was in the first game. That's like the ultimate sword. Well, you it's need just to... called the Magic Sword. Was that yeah. a mistranslation or was it? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's supposed to be that same type of sword or now that we're in a world where people scrutinize oh, timelines. damn it, I'm going to look it up. Well, I read on the Wikipedia it said it was the first time it had been called the Master Sword. I think it was. I think Henry's right. It's the first time it was called that. It was the Magic Sword before, yeah. but whether or not it like chronologically or you know, in lore is supposed to be the Master Sword because mm-hmm. this... I don't want to get in the time. Uh, well, so, this is the place to do it. Well, yeah, so the original Zelda's after Link to the Past. Maybe they just forgot right. the name of the Master sure. Sword. It's in mis- a graveyard. Oh, it no. got mistranslated over time. <laughs> and that Link Between Worlds is six generations after Link to the Past, but still before Legend of Zelda. But Okay, but in our chronolo- chronology, too, like the jump from Adventures of Link to this game is a big jump. Like, they yeah. Yeah. they turn their back on on 2D, like, or the, I mean, side-scrolling. They stopped doing that, but they did, I, like, uh, they added some stuff back into it. Like, they did keep, there was more conversation. Well, it, it kept magic as an idea, at least. Right, mm, right. Sort of. And they got rid of the numbers, you know, the, the RPG stuff yeah. was kind of, like, made more into an adventure kind of action thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's, what's the verdict, uh, Jeremy? We don't wrong. know. Oh, you're wrong. Okay, I'm wrong. All right. So All right. I was <laughs> about, afraid to admit it. Let's celebrate Jeremy's wrongness <laughs> what was, together. What was wrong? Uh, it was the uh, it, let, link to the past. The Master Sword yeah. technically doesn't show up in Zelda or Zelda Two. Right by name, but I'm wondering if through the timeline, if the magic sword is supposed sure, to be that sword. <laughs> Nano machine retcon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do not acknowledge a timeline, by the way. It's, You've written about it more than anyone. I've complained about it a lot, as I do with a lot of things. <laughs> Oh, Brad, did you have something to say? Uh, just when we talked about the long development cycle, it reminded me that for the longest time, this game was just Zelda 3. Yeah. And, and, and like it took me years to stop calling it Zelda 3. I still keep almost calling it Zelda 3. Every <laughs> yeah. time I've said Zelda, A Link to the Past in this podcast, <laughs> that's me doing that. Yeah. Well, in Japan, it's called Triforce of the Gods, a much cooler name. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't have God in there. Nope. So. <laughs> or gods. scare people. So was A Link to the Past, when it was originally released, um, meant to – that title meant to convey like this happened earlier in time? Like I don't remember. They, they messaged her okay. that it was a prequel. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I wasn't really – But maybe that was an that. invention of Nintendo Power. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. That's – To go with a new name. They invented a lot of stuff. So let's talk about uh, the damned game now. I wrote my notes <laughs> because it's so much preliminary information that's really interesting. But the game itself is just amazingly awesome. And it, and it came out here – in April of 92, roughly like five months after the Japanese release date. And where were you guys? Were you on board the Zelda, like, Spirit Tracks train already? Or, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I mean the Link to the Past train, rather. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I uh, Zelda 1 was an absolutely formative game. Uh, so I was a fan. <laughs> like, yeah, I almost, like, tumbled down my own memory lane there. But, uh, no. Pause like, was just your memories. Though. Yeah, I was just thinking, I told the story, but like seeing the gold cart, literally a beam of sunlight hitting it uh, and shining uh, the room like the geode and uh, or the, uh, the statue and that's blinding Lisa when she walks out. Oh, in. yeah. Uh, uh, and it just <laughs> set me down that path. So anything Zelda, I was just like ravenous for. And then the gap between Zelda 2 and Link to the Past was, especially when you're a kid, was a long time. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that was like uh, four years. Yeah, and yeah. as a kid, that's like, 10 million years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when this finally came out, it was like all hands on deck. I was disappointed immediately. It was not a gold cart. Uh, mm-hmm. I, too, share your disappointment. Share your disappointment. Like, go to the garage and get that spray paint out. And, uh, <laughs> I, did a whole, uh, I did a whole post on a laser time about uh, all the gold oh, that was a great one. things yeah. through the years. And it's it stuns me that they knew they had a great game. They were proud of the game. And 
they didn't do the thing they had done prior. It was just mm. always struck me as like an odd omission. They could have given it one of those gold, uh, you know, those little like weird, uh, what do you even call them? You would stick your SNES cart into them like halfway. They're like that big and rectangular. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, the little right. s- dust covers. Yeah, yeah. they have like the Famicom logo on mm. them. Yeah, that yeah. was before they redesigned the cartridges, but um, they should have made that gold at least like as a concession. Yeah, I think. It's, that's <laughs> so weird. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't like that the Ocarina gold wasn't like sparkling enough. Sure. I thought it was just like, yeah, it's too plain gold. I don't like that. Yep, uh, I didn't come to Legend. Uh, I didn't come to Link to the Past until '94. Actually, like I had, uh, we didn't have a, a Super NES at launch, and so I like borrowed a friend's in '94 and finally played it. and And I definitely loved it when I started. It, the The moment that blew my mind that I was totally, I was totally fine for just the pendant search to be the game, oh, and I got yeah. to the end. I was like. Well, I guess it's the end now. This is pretty cool. This has been a good game. And I beat that, and then then the game like, actually oh, begins. By the way, here's the other two-thirds of the game. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, was, that was a mind-blowing the, thing, uh, that a game could be that big. The upside-down castle moment. I do want to talk about that. I was going to talk about it later, but Henry brought it up. So, like, that felt like something that maybe we were just easier to surprise, or maybe, like, the press wasn't the way it is today where we sure. know everything. But I felt like there were these gotcha moments yeah. in so many games of the 90s, like Final Fantasy three. Slash six, mm-hmm. uh, Symphony of the Night, like you said, um, this game where it's like a, a game could be short enough at this time for you to get to that uh, Aganim. How do you say his name? Aganim? Aganim. Aganim. I don't know. Whatever. Wizard guy. Megillum. You can get to the end and be like, okay, this this feels like the end of a game. You know, you, yeah. you've got the sword, you have uh, the main baddie, and then, you know, then it's like, oh no, there's eight more dungeons. Yeah. You know, so. What, what yeah, I awesome think at surprise. this point, everybody, you gotta, you gotta communicate, like, here's. We, we're, you're asking for $60, so much like movie trailers now, like we're not leaving anything to chance. We want you there day one. So, you know, surprises like that unfortunately get spoiled. Like I stopped watching – like I'm obviously a big comic fan, so I stopped watching trailers for all these movies. Like I don't want the Hulkbuster scene spoiled for me. Now even like the post-credits thing is spoiled for everybody. So Yeah, like, like I, I, yeah. I go out of my way to like just know because I know mm-hmm. I know it's their job. I get it. You got to – you got to – Put butts, I, butts and seats, as Vince would say. When I appreciate the the games, the rare game these days that does keep a big secret. Like I, I know in the past the Arkham games, they've done a very good job of not mm-hmm. showing you. Like they show you a lot of one thing and make you think it's bigger in the mm-hmm. game than it is, and then you sure. actually play the game. Like no, that guy's dead. Like five minutes in, this mm-hmm. is the real enemy or whatever. And yeah. but it's still too rare. Like everybody feels like they have to just tell you everything. Yeah, it's too bad. Well, as far as where I found Zelda, my stepdad was way into the first Legend of Zelda, and I think we played it together a bunch when I was little. And then he and I both, like, went in on this. Like, I, I, I brought the proposition to him. This was not a Christmas present or a birthday present. I'm like, there's a new Zelda game. Mm. Here's Nintendo Power. This is why it's good. And, like, one of the things I was fixated on was, like, there are different levels of, like, uh, verticality or whatever. Right. Like, And that was, like, a huge deal. Yeah. It was – at. How how easier were we to to amuse? I don't know, but like that was something that like really made it for me. Like mm-hmm. you can go above and you can jump to the next ledge. It's oh I don't know. That's what made it for me. It made it feel more like I grew up in the middle of nowhere with a huge feel, a very Miyamoto esque yeah. uh, thing where I would like I'm gonna go explore literally a cave and literally strip pits that have been abandoned for thirty years. <laughs> uh, but it reminded me of like like this is what I'm doing. I'm a kid like Link and I go outside and fall out of trees and. Step on bugs. Like, it, it was, like, big wish fulfillment of, like, well, but what I don't have is a sword and a mystery. And this game is really fulfilling all these childhood uh, desires. Did a, did a homeless guy ever give you a bottle? Mm, 
too too spread out to have homeless people. Okay, <laughs> got it. Jeremy, yeah, how about you? Uh, where were you when, when Zelda: Link to the Past came out, and were you like psyched for it? I know you like the first Zelda a lot, right? And yeah, I um, like okay. So uh, a Link to the Past was the first Zelda game I ever bought. But I had borrowed both of the previous ones and scraped them inside and out for contents. Like, I did everything that there was to do. And, you know, when the Super NES came around, I finally had more money to uh, to use. So I was like, oh, well, I'm definitely going to get this when it comes out. <clears throat> so, you know, I'd been waiting for, uh, for A Link to the Past for a while. Um, and it was, you know, on the box of the Super NES. And mm, it was right. like, I, I honed in on that. <laughs> I was like, I got to get this game. So as soon as it came out, I got it, and I played it and really enjoyed it. Um, there's nothing – there's no amazing story here. Just like, uh, I really like this game. That's really good. And um, – I was just seeing those polygonal Triforce at the very start just like oh, swinging. Yeah. Like, yeah. The big crash yeah. when they come together. Who yeah. needs a Super FX chip? Am I right? Yeah. We, can, we can move around eight polygons <laughs> on yes. the screen. Yeah, that that was impressive, and it's still – I still love how it looks and how it just all comes into like, wow. at, like at the right exact moment. And it goes shing, and it's the perfect. sword comes down. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Great. this game a lot if you couldn't tell and one of the best things about this game I feel that's very subversive is the intro where okay um, for one it's really melodramatic mysterious you're you're doing what in any other game would be the last thing you do you go to the main castle you rescue the princess I, that's the first thing you do in this game before the game starts yeah. like I feel like that is way subversive I don't know if they were thinking of it in that in those terms but to me that's I don't know it struck me as something that would not be happening normally in a, in a different game that like the princess would be the last thing to do you know I, I kind of feel like that was um, territory that I'd already explored a little bit uh, with Dragon Quest where you mm. rescue um, Gwylan, uh midway through and then you have to go like after you rescue her then you can go kill the dragon lord yeah I was thinking of that and then Final Fantasy you go and right. rescue Princess Sarah <laughs> from uh, from Garland as the very first mission and after you rescue her then the like the title screen da 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 okay da, maybe like, there is precedent for yeah. this but still I feel like it's a cool choice to yeah make. no no it's it's definitely um, it's nice to see the save the princess cliche inverted in video games yeah. or or. She still gets kidnapped eventually, yeah. but she... <laughs> but it doesn't seem like it for a while. You're like, oh, okay, she's going to be my advisor through the whole you game. Check in with her next yeah. time. Yeah, and, uh... and uh, yeah, well, also like Zelda was much more of a character from the start than instead of being asleep or just a name you read and you see a sprite at the very end of the game. Like she's she's somebody you talk to and save and have like she you walk around with her in the castle. Like yeah, that's that's really important, I think. And I think that that is like a a remnant of uh, Link to the Past original design when there was going to be three different characters to play as. I couldn't mm. find where I originally read this, but it was like a verified thing that Nintendo said or someone from them. Oh, yeah, said. yeah, I like, remember that. One was going to be like an like an elf or a fairy, and there was going to be like Link and Zelda or something. I don't know. But um, I think they mentioned that that part of the game was like just like a leftover. Like we can figure out how to have a, char- have a, how to have a character follow you, so we're going to do it here. Mm. And, but um, they made good use of it, not just with the intro, but then with Blind's Dungeon. Yeah, that too. Yeah, oh, that's wow. really yeah. cool. I forgot about that. And Dungeons in this game, man. <laughs> <laughs> dungeons are great. This intro, though, man, like showing yes. off the Super Nintendo, what it can do, the rain, the th- like the thunderbolts and everything, yep. how they just illuminate the screen. It just yep. that's so interesting. dramatic. I, I was never impressed with the visuals in Zelda really? because they're very nicely drawn. 
um, but they never really felt like, oh, they're pushing the technology. You know, they've got that sort of static top-down view, and yeah. it's it's much more. It's it's a very functional game. It doesn't have a lot of the crazy effects that you saw, even in Super Mario World. Yeah, I don't. Uh, think you they're... get up into the mountains, and then you get some layering and stuff like that. But it was always much more subtle. Like I feel like the game was very restrained, and it, it was actually kind of stood apart from other Super NES software because it wasn't like, look at Mode 7! <laughs> That's true. <Yeah. laughs> I think they mentioned, though, in, in one of the interviews, like, they wanted to do stuff like that, but they didn't have time. It just, like, mm. there were so many parts hey, moving you know, three in this years. game. Yeah, well, one year was production, but there were so many parts moving in this game, so much content that yeah. maybe Mario World was not as intensive and they could have time to, like, you know, get those tricks working. But with this game, you get some parallax, you get some particles, you get some spinny triforces, that's it. Well, it's a much more complex world design. Yeah. I think um, at the time I was a little disappointed because it it doesn't feel as open and just go explore to your heart's content as the original Zelda. But instead it's much more uh, complex and interlayered, um, you know, more like a, a Metroid game really. Mm-hmm. Um and and really, I, I think to that point, Metroid hadn't become that interwoven, you know, with itself. So really, mm-hmm. Super Metroid owes a lot to Zelda. I I'm think. sure. I'm sure that was a huge influence. Um, but yeah, like it's a very complicated world. There's two worlds that link together, and everything has to be gated so that you have the right powers and can go to the right places at the right time without a lot of artificial barriers and a lot of you know, just like oh, here's an invisible wall you can't po- cross, mm-hmm. or like you have to have the blue key to get through the blue door. Like they they really tried to avoid that, and that is that's very complex high-level game design and especially you know that hadn't really been done a lot so they were really kind of like figuring it out there wasn't a lot of precedent for them to look to and say oh yeah yeah that's how it's done i mean mario has only so many verbs but with link you have to probably think of like everything he can do possibly in a screen and how that will interfere with your design and where you want him to go and things like that so i'm not surprised like the planning part of this game took a year you know just figuring Mm -hmm. out like how do we gate people? How do we lead people? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if the dungeons have. I mean, there is an order, but do you really need to follow it? I'm, I'm for the most part. Okay, I thought there was a few times when you can kind of go outside of that order. A little bit, but it's you not really like a link between worlds or anything like that. No, you really need to uh, get one item to be able to either access yeah. or complete a subsequent That's dungeon. Right. The dungeons do a good job of using uh, abilities that you pick up in previous uh, previous mazes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of. Uh, that yeah, I feel like that was the first time they really set up. You got this weapon from the last place that opens up the next place, kind of, kind of thing they followed through with on such a for such long time. That's true. Yeah, like you get the hammer first in the dark world, and you use that hammer to op- go to the next part where the second dungeon is, and so on. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I can see that. I had one story thing I thought of last night while playing the uh, the intro again, and uh, and from reading the book is they make it clear that like. Those guards have been turned by yeah, uh, yeah. So technically, like in a comic book, when Spider Man's fighting a guy who's mind controlled, Spider Man's like, yeah. "Well, I got to go easy on him. This guy's <laughs> mind controlled." But meanwhile, Link's like, "Okay, stab, stab, kill, kill." He just kills. He's just all. a little kid. What do you want? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, Henry, because I think I read somewhere that more of their faces were shown originally, those enemies, mm. but they didn't want them to seem that human because it would seem unsympathetic if Link was just killing adults, adult <laughs> soldiers. Now, it's a pig man or, or a lizard person. That's oh, that's fine. fine. Yeah, yeah. But these are these are men, presumably being brainwashed by uh, 
Aganim. I'm going to say it's Aganim. And in the Japanese version, he's a priest. In this it's, version, he's a wizard. I, don't I, know. I looked it up. It's Agnim. Agnim. Okay, got it. Mm. I'm sure I said it nowhere near right when I was a kid. Like Aganim? I don't know. Whatever. You said Aganham. Aganham. Yeah. Well, it's Ag- Aganham. Aganham? Green mm, eggs and delicious. Yeah. What else is going on in this game? The overworld, which to me is oh, like... seeing that map. Oh, uh, that map the first time, too. The map triggered something in me that is like a, a love of game maps that I have to this day. Mm, uh, yeah. I really... I would just sit and look at this map and like think about like what people in one town would be doing while... Like what? Like what's going on over there, though? And yeah, then, like, well, the... I'm up here at this mountain, and now I can walk down here and be over here. I don't know something about actually seeing it in Secret of Mana. The same thing. I would just look at the map and think about what are those people doing down there while when I was over here fighting yeah. this dragon. It like, shows what you were like they doing? the whole yeah. scope of the game, and like yeah. you're not just screen by screen. There's like an entire world mm-hmm. that's like being realized with the push of a button. You can see it. Yeah. You know, anytime. even at the time, like having a map wasn't a given. Like Super Metroid brought us a map finally. Making Metroid nav- but, navigable, um, and then Zelda One, you had a featureless like gray blocks, rectangle, yeah. but it's like it really didn't help. At the end of the day, you're like, I'm okay. I'm in the lower right corner of the <laughs> giant rectangle. You know, Legend of Zelda is really the Dark Souls of its day, right? Uh, I'm, that's no, a, I'm, <laughs> I completely think that's true, and I will argue that. Point. I think Dark Souls is now the new Legend of Zelda, but that's another <laughs> yeah, story. There you go. Everyone's I said that because I know Jeremy we're going to make it that. through a podcast. Hey, I, I only said that because I know Jeremy hates that statement. Yeah. I'm not the one making the Dark Souls references all the time. It's it's only like 80% of the time. I use it as, tra- as a way to try to, like, when people are like, oh, I could never play that. And I'm like, oh, but you played Zelda 1, right? And they're like, oh, yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, guess what? Like, anyway, I don't want to go it's down okay. that road. The but... thing about the Dark Souls reference is it's so perfect that, like, it's hard to get away from it. Yeah. But it's become trite, I know. But it's still it so has. perfect. I, okay, whatever. Overworld. <laughs> Perfect balance of freedom and guidance. Who's with me on this? Like, Zelda 1, here's an overworld. Try to figure out what's going on. There there are some things that are signposted, but this one, it's a lot more guided, but still there's wiggle room. And I feel it's like the perfect amount of wiggle room where it's like, before you get to the first dungeon, you can mm-hmm. get like eight heart containers and like the fire rod and things like that. Not the fire rod, but like some, some extra stuff too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot to do, a lot to find before you have to go to the next thing you have to do. Sure. And I really like that. And uh, that's what annoyed me about Skyward Sword where it was like, we don't want you to look in this place that we don't want you to go in yet. We're not even going to give you the illusion right. of exploration. We're just going to lock you into this area and let you do what we want you to do. With this, there is still that lockdown, but there is this, these little, little areas you can go into that aren't necessary, but they add a lot to it. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt like sometimes it would push you to test your boundaries, like – Oh, you see that thing over there? Could you? Oh, you can't yet, but you discovered that you could, and you just mark down in your brain, 
when I get the thing that picks up big rocks, I'm going over there. Yeah, like, exactly. And, and natural barriers like, oh, that water's too deep or too, mm-hmm. you know, too tumultuous to swim through. So I need the flippers. And when I read uh, this was something I thought of last night playing the prologue again too. Is like even in the prologue when you're walking uh, Zelda to the old man's house. You you see a couple walls that like those are bomb walls, but I don't have bombs. I probably won't for a while. But it's already telling me you should come back here and blow oh, up yeah. these walls. Like you've got there's reasons to do this again. The real Metroidvania begins here. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So we're back, and I did want to talk about we talked about some like specific scenes in the game, like the intro. And I do want to talk about the the whole Master Sword uh, pulling scene, which I think is mm-hmm. like the best Master Sword iteration in any Zelda game just like the drama behind it the way it like changes the landscape that you find it in and just like the little grove with these peaceful woodland animals just like hopping around it's just like it's so it's so perfect someone else talk about this before I just embarrass it's myself it's so Disney like you can yeah. really see yeah. Miyamoto's love for Disney oh yeah, yeah yeah it's like totally. really yeah totally yeah. Disney and then in Ocarina like it it it's almost too reverent at that point. It's like in a shrine, and it's yeah. it's, it's like it, it's just might as well put big strobe lights on it. Whereas <laughs> this one, it felt like this lost thing that's right. just been sitting there. Uh, I do really like pulling the master sword in Wind Waker, though. That, I mean, when it brings life, back that is to the cool. World that's a similar effect the, too. Like, yeah, the, also you get to appreciate all the stained glass of like the previous games yeah. and stuff, but. Yeah, they, doesn't the music drop out too in Link to the Past? Like, uh, yeah, it actually, uh, it's it, quieter in the Lost Woods. It changes the spooky Lost Woods music to the triumphant Zelda theme, and that mm, that theme yeah. stays in that area until you, until the game ends. And I like that Lost Woods theme a lot, but I, I like how it's like, no, you are Link now, and it's awesome, yeah. and here's I your theme. Love the visual effect, like when it's the misty and and the fog, like that's already cool. But then when it clears and you have the like canopy. Mm-hmm. Like reflection thing almost that kind of doesn't make sense, but <laughs> it's like shadow. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, just such a yeah, it's yeah, such it's, a dense. I think feeling. the term is sun dappling. Sun dappling. Yeah. Well, and sun, you know, update it, the wiki. When like on the cover of the manga here too, like it shows when you put the mm. ma- uh, master sword back, like he gets grown it's over, sleeping because, forever. Yeah, it's just such a cool visual, just like covered in like yeah. moss and stuff. I believe like that. one of the posters that came with the game, or maybe Nintendo Power, was just the art of the sword, like in the Lost Woods, which is like covered in moss and ivy mm. and stuff like that. I well, think I had that on my bedroom door for a well, while. Well, because Link's not on the cover of the game, like in he is in on the Japanese version, right? But he's not. Uh, Hmm. I, he's not on the Super NES cover. Like. It's been a while since I've seen the uh, the I SNES like I've seen version. that character art. Oh, by the way, I remembered. Uh, I I asked an interview when uh, Link Between Worlds was like first previewed. I said, "Well, why isn't his hair pink like it was in the last game?" And the Nintendo person said, "Like his hair wasn't pink. Why do people keep asking me that his hair was pink? He's blonde." I was like. Come on, like, all right, I'm going to pull up a screenshot. I I should have challenged him on that, but mm. I wanted to move on to a question about Mother 3. But <laughs> yeah. I really did, but it was only because I knew it would drive him crazy yeah. to hear a Mother 3 question. And I was like, so this was at the event where they also revealed Earthbound was on Virtual Console. And I said, well, Earthbound, and, you put ver- and you're putting GBA games on the Wii U Virtual Console, huh? And they just responded with like, look, he just got Earthbound. Like, calm down, <laughs> all right? Back off. Uh, Jordan's going to show us, and yep. Yeah, see, yep. there he is. With, Link there's... and the sword in the... the oh, that's the great cover. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, Henry, because I feel like Link is way off brand by the end of this game. He's got, okay, pink hair, a purple hat, and a red outfit. Like, yeah. he is the least Link-like <laughs> Link in any, like, iteration. I know... 
uh, I think the the armor is optional in um, in uh, Ocarina of Time, right? It's just like situational, right? Yeah, it's situational. It doesn't like help you. It it it's not something you keep on all the time because you take less damage or whatever. And I, and I think the uh, maybe Jeremy can help me out on this. Like the armor is kind of like the rings in uh, a link to uh, yeah the tunics. Yeah, yeah, the tunics. Um, yeah, I mean, starting with that game, I think it was that game. Yeah. Um, the rings were replaced by tunics and Link just gets nicer tunics from now on, yeah. like male basically. But I, I like, I like the, like, again, weird color choices, like the, the lavender, uh, purple and yeah. red Link, like running around with like a, a like a hot orange sword. It's yeah. just like. Yeah. I forgot about that when I re, when I looked up some videos last night and just saw like, ugh, that's listen, an assault on your eyes. It was eyes. 1992. Yeah. Okay. We had to use every color. It was like the uh, same by the Grunge hadn't happened yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and especially seeing him walking around in Dark World in that outfit, like, it makes it stand out even more. That could be part of it, I think, maybe. maybe. Like, he's, he's bringing like, life back to Dark yeah, World. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. I like that explanation, Henry. <laughs> back gonna, on board. I'm going to buy that. Le- okay, let's talk about the Light World, Dark World, Dark World dynamic. They have not tried anything this um, ambitious, I think, just because it's so much harder to do in 3D. I mean, mm. Ocarina of Time... Had a similar thing. I, I don't think it was as extensive as the work they put into this alternate world. I mean, what do you guys think about this? The, the light world, dark world situation in, in A Link to the Past. Yeah, it was, it was much simpler in Ocarina of Time. Yeah, it was like, well, okay, this town has no one left in it, so don't go there. Um, these people are, their dialogue has changed and like... There are new enemies on the overworld, but uh, that's pretty much it. And then, so, and the farther you got away from Hyrule, it's like this is pretty much the same city, yeah, now or whatever. And but. I've been dying for them to bring this back in another Zelda game in some way. I mean, we have Link Between Worlds. We'll talk about that soon. But I want to see this in a 3D game so bad. Like this idea, I feel like there's more to it. There's more to do in a 3D space with the idea of parallel worlds. And I can't it, think of anything uh, else that uh did Soul Reaver do something like that where you would like yeah, you would kinda. like motion mm. and it would like shift back to I didn't play Soul, Soul Reaver, Reaver was almost more like I'm sorry, Dark Souls. <laughs> where <laughs> it's a valid comparison. Uh, it's 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 not talking about difficulty here. I'm talking about how there's like a physical world and a spirit world. Mm. Um like Dark Souls was kind of preceded by Soul Reaver there in I that see. regard. No, well, and also in the in the dark world too, seeing um, it, it made it made entering the dungeons a lot more difficult, or like uh, not difficult, but like intricate. Of like you mm-hmm. had to do a thing in one world and then go to the yeah, other. There's um, there are no dungeons in Ocarina that I can think of where you have to travel in time to complete them. There's uh, the spirit, the spirit one. You okay. gotta go back yeah, and get your one. mirror in the yeah the mirror shield. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like you're changing within the context of the dungeon. You're yeah, not right, traveling right. in time, whereas in in uh, Link to the Past, there are a couple of dungeons where you have to like switch between worlds in order to be able to complete them. Yeah, they. The thing about yeah, the dungeons feel, in a way, more complex, and they they may. I mean, that's subjective, I guess, but it's just like the way you solve them seems uh, like you really achieved something and like used your brain. And there's something about the 3D ones that feels more like, well, now that it's in a 3D world, I I'm I'm more trying to figure out well, what can't I do in this game that's trying to approximate 3D space. Yeah, yeah. But when it's 2D, I just think like, this is a puzzle I need to solve and I, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm artic- thinking of it, articulating of it in terms of you being there in yeah. that space. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and mm-hmm. then when you do it, like when I, you know, bomb the floor to let the light in to make the boss show up in the, 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 the blind area or ex- exiting a thing and then switching back to the light world and going back in and stuff's different. It's like that feels more like I'm solving a video game puzzle and less like, well, yeah. if I was Link, I would just put my leg over this ledge. Yeah, just hook shot up there and yeah. go to town, yeah. yeah. Well, on the first time you go in there, you turn into the rabbit thing, which was like yeah. 
That was a mind bender for me then too. As far as pink like, like his hair. Yeah, yeah see, that's true. That's, that's again, where it comes from. Stuff, but, yeah. and, and that was something too that clicked for me the first time last night that is rabbit transformation and then connecting that to the Ravio thing in in Link Between Worlds. I was like, oh, duh. Yeah. Like, why did uh, I get that? I learned about that after the fact too. I, I should have put I the pieces together. That. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh, Jeremy's, Jeremy's giving us a tisk tisk motion. Well, <laughs> one thing I like about this is um, the Dark World is that, like, the way it changes other NPCs. Like, you are rescuing NPCs who got sucked into that world, like the blacksmiths. And mm-hmm. I think this is where Zelda's, like, goofy, morbid, like, silly darkness kind of crept in. Like, that kind of attitude where there's this town of, like, silly monsters that are that are kind of, like like, scary, but they're just kind of goofy. And there's, like, skeleton chickens running around and, yeah. like... There's just, one there's, of them's kicking another one around yeah, in a circle. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, like, I, I didn't feel like Zelda was trying to go for this kind of humor or this kind of, like, spooky silliness before this. Maybe they just couldn't do it with what the, the tools they had. I don't know. Well, I mean, I am error. That's a real funny <laughs> I like Bagu. He's my favorite. Uh, yeah, I think this, like, they got a darker sense. Of, well, this was also the first time you could be attacked by cuckoos, right, was in this yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, from he- from here on, that's tradition. Like, mm-hmm. This just set up a lot of traditions. Yeah. Too. So they attacked by cuckoos, and then what was another one? Ah, I can't remember. Hmm. I like the hook shot, I guess. Yeah, was that. And you got the... Well, now you always get the boomerang first, even in the first game, right? The, well, technically, you get the you torch go. first in yeah. this one. So we have a ton of dungeons in this game. I think there's like 11 or 12 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like a mini dungeon in in one part of the game, I think, to get like one of the rods. Yeah. Um, but there's a ton of dungeons. And this game kind of like rethinks what a dungeon can be. There are some dungeons where you go outside the dungeon, mm-hmm. go into different entrances. There's the, uh, the swamp dungeon where you change water levels. I mean, we're seeing things that would be re- reflected in later Zelda games, but they're all starting here just like – each dungeon needs to be different in some way, like with like different tile sets, different like themes. Like there's a desert one, there's like an ice one. It's really interesting what they do with these dungeons. Um, anyone have any favorites or any, anything that stands out to you in, in terms of dungeons? I mean the the infamous battle with the the giant moldworm or whatever oh, okay. at the top of Hera's tower, mm. where you fight and you fight and you get it down to the very end and it'll knock you off the edge and you have to yeah. climb back up <laughs> and start all over. Was that Actually, a highlight? No. Okay. <laughs> it's it's one of those weird spots in the game where I'm like, oh, this is clever, but it's not very fun. Yeah. Kind of like tapping every wall to find a secret. Mm. Like they took that mm. out. Why not take you out the battle? You kind of have to get lucky sometimes with that the, fight. The, the, battle, the battle is much easier in uh, Link Between Worlds. Mm. Uh, like they – it, it, it was very clear to me that they spent some time thinking, how can we ma- make this a little less BS? They give you more real estate, I think, in that. To, to yeah, run and I don't think I don't think you lose your progress if you fall. I, I can't mm. remember; it's been a while since I played, but yeah, that one that one's kind of tricky. But I, I, Blind's Dungeon is fantastic, yeah. and I also remember the one in the uh, like it's in the the dead woods or whatever with like a skull entrance. Yeah, yeah. Because that one had me stumped. Uh, I didn't realize I had collected a fire rod in there. So I was like, how do I burn or how do I get past these stumps? I can't lift them up. And it turned out I have to burn them. So uh, that one thwarted me for a while. but mm. But it became memorable as a result. I love the same thing, like Blind and the Thieves Hideout. Like, I loved it because it, from the outside, didn't look special. It, mm-hmm. it, I don't know if it's the first that I've just maybe think about it, but it seemed like the first case of a Zelda dungeon that wasn't 
like designed to be this intricate thing full of traps. It was right, just right. like it's where thieves hang out, so it's going to be sneaky and 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 it was in a town too. It yeah, like it was in the town, town and, yeah. and yeah, it felt like this abandoned or or run down giant house yeah, it's unless like the thieves of Guild and Skyrim. Yeah, mm-hmm. it reminds me of the uh, that Yeti dungeon in uh, Oh same Twilight thing. Princess. It's like you're just in oh, someone's yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Place, yeah, it's man. so great. Like more uh, dungeons like that, please. I mean, just I love those kinds of like, yeah. really unique themes. And then uh, I don't remember the dungeon so much, but the Helmosaur. Or whatever the oh, thing yeah, was called. Yeah. Like that boss was that was the first time I this is the first game I stayed up all night and saw the sun come up <laughs> was like playing this and then in the middle of the night somewhere was finding that boss for the first time and just being like stunned at like the size of it and like the neatness of having to break the hammer or break his mask and then the the visual effects on the tail when it would come around and, and swing at you. It was just like this is so cool. Yeah. Multi stage boss fights really yeah. cool in this game. Um, I, I okay. cannot remember the dungeon, but I do remember this boss just because I just read it in the thing. It was like the big jellyfish thing. With you have to like pull the pieces stuff. away with yeah, the Yeah, you have to tear its arms off. Yeah. Oh. In the manga, he does not get many weapons. No. Like, in anyway. the game, though, this game has so many weapons. Some of them are optional. Some of them are kind of useless, including some of the spells. But there's so many. And I did want to mention this something I like to, to repeat, this little fact. It's like the magic hammer is known as the MC hammer in Japan. <laughs> so great. So timely. Yeah. Thanks, Japan. And, I mean, I wish they would have translated that as is, um, but uh, Boy, the MC had, Hammer. If that had been translated as is, I would have thought that was the Americans doing the joke. Like, yeah. ah, real funny yeah. Americans. But no, I mean, apparently uh, Tezuka liked baggy pants and, uh, and uh, <laughs> that was whatever else. That they worked to uh, worked Samples of uh, Rick James. Singing about the Adams family, I guess. Big fan um, of that uh, cartoon on ABC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hammerman. Hammerman. I forgot Magic Shoes. Uh, and then. Uh, what Let's out reference the other on <laughs> Hammer. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Uh, me too. Uh, you got you got to pray just to make it today, I guess. And uh, <laughs> what are. These jokes are too legit to quit. They are. Okay. Uh, hookshot, come on, guys! Give That's me the... really great. It's like hookshot and Pegasus boots are like the two. Like they change like the speed and well, the way you move around the screen. Like being able to run faster and run through enemies and quickly traverse this ground where you're already like oh, I have to walk all the way over there again, mm-hmm. and now you can just. That yeah. was that was something I was feeling replaying it last night. The opening, I was like, move your feet faster because I was remembering. <laughs> Having the Pegasus boots and, and once I had them, like running as fast as I could through stuff. It's like Pokemon finally was like, you just have the bike. Yeah. Or, or yeah. the skates or whatever it was. Like you have like, inline skates to just pop out when you feel like it. You just yeah. walk faster. Same with Final Sorry. Fantasy. Like you have the sprint shoes. It's right. an option. It's just like, it's no longer like an accessory. Just, yeah. just run, okay? Yeah. But yeah, it was very thoughtful. Like you have these big areas to explore. You're going to be running back and forth a lot. Here's a tool that will make this a little bit easier. It's a little it's a little annoying that you need to restart that run when you when you hit a scrolling point. Yeah. When it, but I I think they would fix that in later 2D games where the Pegasus boots were like always running even when you got to the next screen. Mm. So I think maybe even Link's Awakening did that maybe. I'm I'm not Mm. sure. I'd have to go back.
do we have anything else? I mean, like, the hookshot's great, and I love how it works in 3D games, and it's just, like, a cool idea, like, kind of like a Batman-style uh, yeah. weapon or, or accessory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm trying to think of anything else that stands out as really cool. I, like, I love the ice rod. Like, just, f- you can always freeze things and then hit them with a hammer to get magic potions, which is a cool little trick to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never found Chris Houlihan's room. Nobody has. <laughs> well, I guess maybe bug testers have. Uh, Jeremy, talk about what that is, like... How, how arcane oh, so, is it? So, man, I don't remember the the process you're supposed to use to find it, but basically there was a contest, like an Nintendo yeah, Power contest or something, to get your name into a game. And so the solution they came up with was in this, basically like a glitch room in uh, A Link to the Past inside the Great Pyramid at the very end. Like if you somehow make it inside, instead of you know there just being like a default error message like, oh, you're not supposed to be here. Um, it's that guy. He says, hey, am I, this is Chris Houlihan. You're, you're in my room. You're not supposed to be here, but have some treasure. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like a, a callback to, you know, it's a secret to everybody with a moblin giving you money. Mm-hmm. And we don't um, know who Chris Houlihan is. We don't. If he's out there, uh, let us know. Uh, I'm sure he's moved on with his life. He's no longer. <laughs> but uh, he never even found that I bet, unless they get, send him a letter like, here's where your room is, Chris. Like, yeah. We, our lawyers tell us to let you know where it is. I, I like that it's almost – it almost seems like a spiritual throwback to uh, Adventure for Atari, yeah, was which was clearly an influence on Zelda. Oh, yeah. Oh, it yeah. had to have been an influence. So it's almost like arcing back, you know, 15 years in history to this sort of er action RPG <laughs> and giving you a very similar Easter egg. Uh, you know, the, the, the comic also reminded me that I think this was the first time uh, – uh, that you the way you beat Aghanim is by reflecting his attacks uh, back at him oh, with the yeah. sword, correct? Now that's also something that is I feel like is in every Zelda game now. Oh, yeah, like it's yeah. it's a big deal to have the boss fight where it's like sh- reflect the thing back. I mean, it just uh, turned into a whole rhythm game in yeah, in the, Ocarina. Yeah, the rhythm thing is is yeah better there. Uh, Zelda Two has that reflect spell, and there's that one wizard that you beat by bouncing the spells back, uh, but okay. it's not. I mean, it's it's that idea, but it's not. It's, it's not done slashing better. the. It's not yeah. slashing an energy ball with yeah. your sword. Yeah. So I did want to address one. Uh, I don't know if it's a controversy, something that I bring up from time to time, mm-hmm. and it's the fact that uh, Ocarina of Time owes so much to A Link to the Past, and there seems to be like two camps of people. Like I, I was reading comments from readers on this game, and it's like some people uh, like Link to the Past, some like Ocarina of Time. They're essentially the same game, but in different formats. You cannot like both. I'm sorry. You can't like both. It's Im- impossible. Impossible. Well, I'll tell you this. Like I feel like I was jaded at 16 because like uh, Ocarina of Time was supposed to be like this amazing experience for me. And I didn't have an N64, so maybe it was just sour grapes. But um, mm. I played it at a friend's house, and I was like, this is cool, but it's everything I did in, in uh, Link to the Past. Like, there's Kakariko Village. Oh, right. Here's the castle. Uh, like, there's the twist halfway through in, like, mm. the Light World, Dark World thing. And I feel like it was a, it was a smart idea because they had, they had to build this very complex game. And so they're like, let's use a foundation that works, which is what they did with in the past with, like, a lot of other games. I mean, yeah. what do you Although guys feel Impo about this connection? Well, Impa wasn't, uh, like, Xeno Warrior Princess in that one, though. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah. She was an old lady. Very different. Uh, you know, I it didn't really connect with me before that it was, like, uh, the similarities between Ocarina and Link of the Past beyond, like, the similarities it had to every other Link uh, Zelda game before it, too, you know. It, but I can't see it, like, from the structure and everything and also, like, the importance of games. Ganon and Ganon's, like, power or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we see a lot of things that are eventually carried over into every Zelda from this game. Like, there was always the Ganon imposter 
the guy who was so clearly being informed by Ganon, or I mean, even if his name is Ganondorf, or even if it's like Xant, is that his name? Yeah. yeah. That, like the last five minutes is like, oh, it's Ganon actually. Yeah. Sorry. It's like which I did love the slow build because when we were first reviewing it, it was like, man, maybe Ganon's not in this. I don't know, man. We're pretty late, and then like, no, he's here, and. The, the, the way they sell him as, like, this threat I thought was really cool. And then there's, like, uh, Avati from Minish Cap. Was he, yeah. like, an acolyte of Ganon or something? I or? think he predates Ganon. Yeah, I, I, I reread this in the timeline again. Like, he predates Ganon. Like, yeah. the dude in Twilight uh, – sorry, the dude in Skyward Sword gets – he'll become Ganon sort of later. But Vati is at first. And then once they vanquish Vati, then Ganon becomes the new big bad. And – because yeah. that's Minish Cap has Vati. No, and then Vati tries to come back in the Four Swords. Yeah. And that's when they. And Four Swords Adventures is the chance you get for like Vati and Ganon if you do. <laughs> yeah. To have that really How cool. How do you guys know this? That really cool final bot, like where you fight oh, yeah, Ganon in part, Four yeah. Swords, like that huge Ganon sprite. Yeah, that is, is great. So yeah. Cool. Uh, Four Swords is a, like a weird, uh, awesome, kind of hard to play today version of sure. A Link to the Past, like multiplayer version. I think that game for mm-hmm. sure super informed by A Link to the Past. Yeah. Has anyone played that like in the proper like multi-GBA format? I have. I did at the time. It's, yeah. it's, I didn't it's do so that one, fun. but I did the GameCube one, which... Oh, that's what it, I meant, the GameCube oh, okay. one. Yeah, that one, yeah. Was I, that Four I, Swords I, Adventures, yeah, right? Adventures. Okay, yeah, yeah, I yeah. totally lucked out where like I had three friends who were like, let's do this. And uh, man, that game... We didn't get to Ganon. I did that later for, for a feature where I did a thing about, like, the ever-changing sizes of Link and Ganon and kind of compared their sizes relative to each other and how you have these, like, well, in the first game, they're only this different size. And then in if you look at them in Link to the Past, they're slightly bigger. And then in Ocarina, like, when Ganon goes full monster at the end, it's like, that is way bigger than yeah. he's ever been. And then the Four Swords Adventures one is, like, 18 times the size of Link or something. That's a huge it's, it's, finally, like, that Tarada artwork. The which one? The Katsuya Tarada artwork of oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Link, like... Standing in front of a gigantic Ganon. Oh yes, mm. God! Like hiding around on the other side of the column. Yes. Oh, that's so. right. Yeah. That art is yeah. so beautiful. That, art. Yeah. that is like inspirational to me to this day. Like, <laughs> like, and he's pushing the Triforce, and like the the weird shape is disappearing. Mm. And man, was was Link mm. to the Past the first time they introduced the idea like that the Triforce grants you a wish, or was that in the original one? Like that you mm. had to. I don't think t- they explicitly said wish in I, the the first games. Okay, that like it was always an important thing to get but mm. that like when Ganon got his hands on it yeah. in Link the Past he used it to destroy an entire dimension and that Link can fix it at the end by making a wish himself you know that the the wish factor of the Triforce carried over from that point too I'm totally lost on all this <laughs> all this timeline lore stuff yeah, but I, I do want to ask um, do we think the fact that many Zeldas have borrowed from this formula um has this reduced the, uh, I don't know, the, God, the legacy of A Link to the Past? I don't that's, know. That's kind of what I was saying at the beginning okay. is that it op- occupies such a huge shape mentally because every Zelda is basically A Link to the Past yeah. now. Um, Outside not, of, not every single yeah, one, yeah. But, but you know what I mean. Like, it's it's really rare to see Zelda games break away from the structure and from the weapon systems and everything that were introduced in Link to the Past. Mm-hmm. So you do kind of start to take the game for granted. Um, yeah. well, and but, fun. you know, uh, sorry. No, no. I, I was just going to say, I don't think that actually makes the game less good. I think it just takes a little more effort for you to appreciate uh, the value of the game. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was going to say, I think it's ironic that the Link to the Past direct sequel is the one that plays around with the conventions the most. Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, uh, before it came out, I was like, oh, an ugly remake of Link to the Past. I don't want <laughs> this. And I think a lot of people thought that until we realized like what it was. Uh, Henry, please continue. Like, I just... Well, I, mean, I, I was excited for the first day because I was lucky enough to like, I I got to go to a preview event and play it. I think you were there too, weren't you? The, I, I'm getting that was oh, Jeremy. No, it was Jeremy. That's right. Yeah, it was. That was such a shock anyway because they had just announced it that day, and I am not used to going to like. I was sure like, well, they're not gonna let us play it. They just announced a Zelda game. Like here it is, right here, play it right Look now. under your chair, Henry. <laughs> yeah, I. That was great, and just to play through that first stage, like. For them to take the verticality of Link to the Past and connect that with three dimensions, like, it's such a, um ingenious move that you never, like, it wouldn't occur to me to do that. And, yeah. Yeah, the, um, you know, when they, when they developed Ocarina of Time, they took A Link to the Past as sort of like a template for a lot of concepts and pushed it into 3D. So I think... A link between worlds is almost like an alternate timeline where mm-hmm. what if instead of borrowing the structure and pushing the technology, what if we really kept that same world design and that same kind of level of structure and camera viewpoint and everything and instead just totally changed everything else? Mm-hmm. So they're they're always kind of working from this common thread, but it was it was good to see them say, why don't we change up something different than we usually do and just mm-hmm. go in a totally different direction? Yeah, and after, you know, I think it was after Skyward Sword, everybody's saying, do I have to get the weapons in the same order every time? And so then the Star of this game, like, here's every weapon. Just get them. Do you have the rupees? You can buy these weapons. Boom. Just like yeah. that. And and same deal, like, flying around just to eat, like, getting those um, uh, wind the, uh, the weather veins pa- like, oh, yeah, yeah. to fly yeah. around, like... Man, that's, that's great. Uh, that was like the closest I've felt to like, you're always in our uh, unending adolescence of the modern era. <laughs> uh, you're always kind of chasing that to recapture that feeling you had when you were a kid. And this is the f- closest I've felt to that where like, you know, several hours in, I'm just like, I'm having so much fun. Oh, me too. It's like next and dungeon, please. Like, Yes. And I'm like, dude, sell me more. Like just make dungeons. And I like when it was over, I was like, no. <laughs> like so few games do you stop and you're like, I'm actually upset you didn't make more. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I know you gave me a rich, beautiful experience for the $30 or $40 that I gave you, but, man, I could have taken so much more. It's so rare to see a mic drop in a video game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I love how experimental this game is, and I love that these experiments worked. Like, I feel everything they were afraid of doing with Skyward Sword, that, that very tight leash, yeah. like, it was very daring of them to just let you have so much control yeah. because, like, it's any order those dungeons can be solved in, right? I mean, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Throughout. Yeah, and you can have, like I said, any weapon from the start if you can just rent it. Though I did my I, my kind of like collector mentality in the game, I was always saving up like yeah. every rupee, every rupee. Yeah. And it made rupees, that's what I also loved. It made yeah. rupees matter big time and it made death matter much more too. And it incentivized to actually buy them because like, oh, but if you own them, it has this extra effect or yeah, that's it's right. more yeah. powerful or something. It's, so, you know, oh, man. That I was Nintendo back... experimenting with free-to-play design yeah. out there. Yeah. 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 
Uh, but it did. Maybe that's why they delayed the Wii U game to get in more free to play hooks in the game. Like, You're talking but, about the uh, the ugliness, like oh, an uglier version of, uh, and it didn't bear out to be an ugly game at all. I, I uh, agree with that. But, I mean, like it, it was it was much better in action than it looked like sure. in the screenshots I saw. So sort of to that point, uh, there was a trailer running in theaters for this game, and well, I think it was the second Hunger Games movie. <laughs> like we were like, oh, going to see this movie in a pretty packed theater, and this. The commercial comes on when everyone's filing in still, and uh, when you blow up 3DS game to yeah. be on a movie screen, like the guy mm. sitting next to me, who seemed like ten years older or so, like I don't know, he's talking to his friend. He's like, "Oh my god, is that what games look like now? It looks like <laughs> shit." And I'm just like, I got hot with anger. Yeah, just like, do you know? Do you know how good that game is? And I'm like, just just let it go. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't Link matter. Between Worlds is a fantastic game, but it's got no visual style. It's really kind of ugly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, they. I wish they'd just go. This is like the same complaint with New Super Mario Brothers. Of like, mm. can't you just make sprites, please? Yeah. No yeah. more of this 2.5D stuff. Or you can just 5D stuff. find like, like uh, some sort of visual style to define the games. They just mm-hmm. feel like, well, we made some polygon models. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like the Rayman games are really... Yeah, dense. Yeah, they suck, but they they look really nice. <laughs> like let like let alone in a theater. I get I get ashamed when I post a 3ds screenshot like in a review. Like this looks this makes my review look bad. Like just <laughs> having that thing blown up. This but... person clearly has no taste if he's saying this game is so visually <laughs> Four attractive. stars. What the? Oh, yeah, I, th- I felt that way with Shimigami Four of like putting up screens like this. It's just in in the review. It's like this is like brown and black and like it has just this weird polygonal man in the center. It looks hideous. Like not hideous, but in I'm just. Saying in in a still yeah. SMT4 didn't look so great, but in this game, I I remember when I started it, I was like, okay, Nintendo, we'll see we'll see about this, and I was yeah. like, I'm gonna see how far I can go when I first start the game, and you can go pretty far, and I, that, I, like from then on, I was like, okay, you win, you've done this, and I, I trust you, and then. I'd, probably my favorite Zelda game since like the Wind Waker, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I, I'm regret. You know, talking about it again, I'm regretting getting swept up in the uh, in the game of the year stuff when everyone's like, "Come on, guys, Last of Us or Tomb Raider or Bioshock Infinite," which were all. I, I still think those are all great games, but I think back, I think I wish I had voted. I had gone the GameSpot way and said like, "No, man, this is the. I think this is the best game of the year." It so, was a fantastic game. So I think I'm. Fire Emblem Awakening, though, that was really good, too. 2013 was a tough year. God, the last two years have been, like, dog shit compared <laughs> to 2013. Man. Hey, we got Bloodborne, and, uh, and that's all that matters to me. Axiom Verge. It's true. Axiom Verge, yeah. I want games made by established publishers, man. I don't want... I <laughs> oh, want sorry. My bad. Things. That's the only real game. That doesn't have enough A's in it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Not enough A's. I can't appreciate uh, it. All, like, the last three years have been me... Like acquainting myself with everything from From Software and every Monster Hunter. Oh yeah, me too. Like that's which is if you take those two games together, it has like put me on this mental path for like, well, these are the kinds of games I play now, and anything that's a tube that's telling a story, I'm like, yeah, but yeah, like my how patience do I get has better? You don't this. like you don't like story tubes? Story tubes? Uh, story. <laughs> yeah, my patience has dropped like, <laughs> like precipitously since yeah, I played those like, games. Like I finished Last of Us, and I'm like, this is. This is a great storytelling thing and beautiful game and what a lovely story tube. Yeah, and I, and I had a great time. It's but a it's a new like, genre designation. Thank story you, story tube. I love it. I love story that. Tube. We're gonna coin that on uh, this episode. Link, Link Between Worlds did have a real good story. Like I, I, 
it had twists and turns and unexpected stuff. Like I, I like the story, and and I, it had like a double twist at the end. Though I did see the, I saw the first one coming with Hilda, but I did. I don't want to get too spoilery for listeners who may not have played it yet. But I, I saw one of them coming, but not the other. But the whole, just yeah, it, it had actually like some good cutscenes or whatever you call them this these days. I guess we didn't talk about spoilers for if you hadn't beat this game somehow, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. You didn't spoil anything. Yeah. No. It, it occurred to me. It's cool, but careful. I will say we have to wrap up soon because um, we went over on our last episode. But um, I will say play A Link Between Worlds for God's sakes. It's great. Yes. I think if you like A Link to the Past, you'll love this. And if you haven't played A Link to the Past, what are you doing with your life? Mm-hmm. It's available in a million formats and Wii U eShop in HD. I would say like it's one of the essential games of like the 100 essential games you should play. I mean, it's up, it's up there, I think. Yeah. It's like it's hard to... Like Jeremy said, it's 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 ubiquitous now. It's just like this thing in your head that's just like, of course it's good, fine, yeah, every Zelda game, go for it. But this is what made it all come together, I think. As important as Legend of Zelda 1 was, like this is, I think, everything is just firing on all cylinders. Whatever else trite expression you want to come up with for that, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you're playing it for the first time and you find yourself thinking, oh, every action RPG I've ever played is like this. Remember that before A Link to the Past came out, no action RPG played like that. No. Like, it's it's a milestone, mm-hmm. and it changed the way everyone makes games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, I wanted to mention, too, I brought it with me, the, the Link to the Past manga or whatever just got, like, reprinted. It was the one in – it was the one carried for, like, an entire year, I think, 12 – a chapter at a time, 12 issues long in Nintendo Power. That was by Shitoru Ishinomori, who's, like – I'd say right under Tezuk, uh, Osama Tezuka as the as the most important manga artist, or like a historically very important manga artist in Japan, and the, he for him to do like a Zelda comic is is a crazy idea for him to do in '92. Like this is very late in his career. He yeah. he created Cyborg and Cyborg Zero Zero Nine, yeah, and Kamen Rider, and uh, really the first like Power Rangers show, that this first Super Sentai show. He did all that stuff, and and I thought about this too from reading Chris Kohler brings it up in his book uh, the game, game not game over I always power want to up power up in Chris Kohler's book power up he he interviews Miyamoto and talks about this manga and that Miyamoto he appreciates manga quite a lot he one time dreamed of being a manga I was going to ask about that was that him and that yet yeah and in, in in the book he mentioned in the interview with Kohler he says that he wanted he liked that this could introduce westerners to the manga art form just through Zelda and that I think it you know I think it worked it was one of those little breadcrumb trails you sprinkle yeah. to get people to read later you know watch Dragon Ball Z and be like, oh, this yeah. looks familiar this, in some This way. was like the closest we got to a monthly, like, not shown, not shown and jump level, but like right. the idea of this massively popular magazine, huge subscriber base, and then delivering a comic book every month. It's like, well, if that one took off, then, you know, maybe we put one for this game in here and that game. And like, I wonder if they were trying to see, mm. could we turn this magazine into something more? Yeah, uh, like yeah. a Japanese magazine would be. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's back in print from Viz and it's... Uh, I'll admit it feels dated in a lot of ways, and they really – he takes – All those uh, Reagan references. Ishinomori takes a lot of uh, some liberties with the story or like they just skip. They skip about five dungeons in it, and they, they just – they they free two princesses from crystals. Like, all right, let's speed this up. But there are a couple things in it. Like for one, he has a, a fairy guiding him through a lot of the game, and then also – Zelda helps him at the end by shooting a light arrow at mm. Ganon. I was like, I wondered if 
that gave the inspiration for the later Zelda games because they mm. saw it first in Ishinomori's books. Mm. Well, our next guest is here, so we have to wrap things up super quick. So as for us, we're Retronauts on everything. Google us, look for us, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook. We're on Patreon. Please give to us. Even a buck a month would help so much, folks. And I am in Bob Servo on Twitter. Read my stuff on US Gamer and Something Awful and everyone else. Where are you and where can we find you? Uh, well, you know, I am no longer my previous employer right now. I'm figuring stuff out, but I'm writing on uh, lasertimepodcast.com. I've been writing some stuff there and doing more podcasts like the Laser Time Podcast and Cape Crisis. And you can follow me on Twitter at H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G. Rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> uh um, Brustin on Twitter, um, Day Jobs Capcom. We do stuff over there on the on the community blog. Um, but then I also, like Henry, do some stuff on Laser Time. Uh, appear on that podcast and also do a labor of love game music podcast called VGEmpire.com. Uh, that's also on Twitter, VGEmpire. Uh, yeah, that's my stuff. And finally, me. You can find me on Gamespite uh, at Gamespite on Twitter. You can find me at USGamer.net and relevant to Zelda. Check out AnatomyofGames.com, where I've written some stuff about what I perceive as great design ideas in both Zelda and Zelda 2. That's right, sticking up for the black sheet. Ooh. Hmm. As for us, we'll be back next week with a brand new micro-episode, and you're sh- you'll be sure to love it, I hope. Please. Thank you. Bye.